Sometimes you need to get done. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Um, I'm going to take a minute and uh, look over the crowd uh, and see who's here. You're, that's what you're doing to me. Who is this guy and what's he look like and whether I'm going to even listen to him or not. Uh, my name is Tim Young. Uh, that's not real important. What I'll be doing here in a little while is the most important. Uh, I'm actually from uh, New York, and usually when you say that, people think of skyscrapers and blacktop. And actually, I live about 340 miles from New York City, uh, almost to Buffalo, near Rochester, in between Rochester and Syracuse, uh, in an area that I grew up. I grew up about four miles from where the church I pastor. I've been in the ministry preaching for 47 years. I, don't, I know I don't look at it, it's just I have old hair, it's 70 years old. Um, but I'm excited about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I didn't grow up in church. Uh, I didn't get saved, I was almost 22 years of age. I was in college, I was studying phys ed. I was going to be a gym teacher. I was going to have my own gymnasium to play in, but uh, uh, that didn't happen that way. The Lord saved me while I was in uh, State University and received Christ as my Savior, and He changed my direction. I'm thankful for it. Uh, the person that invited me to church has been my bride for 47 years, uh, which I'm thankful for, and uh, I'm glad to have an opportunity to be here. I appreciate your pastor, his kindness to me, and inviting me here, and then caring for me, and that, it was a blessing to, to come down the street and then see this facility and then see this auditorium, and what a blessing it is to work that's gone in, that's generated this. Let me encourage you, if I live in this area, this is where I'd go to church already. I appreciate the singing. Uh, who's this young lady that plays the piano and you oh it is your daughter she needs sneakers she goes from there to there to there to there to there either we get to get a trap door with a tunnel you know maybe to get it over there or whatever god bless you she gets her workout on sunday morning that's for sure thank you for all the specials johnny thank you for that that was a blessing i appreciate it the only thing i can play is is a radio and i don't do that real good and I appreciate your guitar playing, but it's a blessing to be here. Uh, I know that uh, in a little while, I'm gonna start hearing various and sundry sounds, and they're gonna sound like you're hungry. I will ignore them for a while, uh, and then we'll go downstairs and have a bite to eat. But thank you for allowing me to be here. I'm looking forward to meeting the rest of you. I've, I've met several folks this morning, and I was thankful for that. Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. Fourth chapter. Talking about revival, a revival is not people getting saved, it's people that are saved getting right or closer to the Lord, maybe back to where they once were. If you are close, were closer to the Lord uh, prior to today than you are today, then we need to be revived. Revive us again, O Lord, is really what we ought to have. But there are some uh, steps that we need to take in that. So let me encourage you to be with us. Uh, thank you for being here this morning, but tomorrow night we'll meet together, 7 o'clock, I believe, 7 o'clock on Tuesday night, and the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And let me tell you, the day is approaching when Jesus is coming. And so let me encourage you, if you're all possible, unless you're providentially hindered, meaning you're in heaven, come on out tomorrow night and Tuesday night, and let me encourage you to be here. I appreciate the pastor and all the work that's gone on uh, in preparation for that. And we certainly prayed uh, for God's to meet with us. In John, the fourth chapter, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture here. I'll ask you to follow along with me as I read aloud, if you would. Um, let's start in verse uh, 30. Yes, verse 30. It says, Then they went out of the city and came unto him, and the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said his, the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and so, fin so to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now certainly a summons for God's people to be mindful of seeing that there's a great harvest of souls that needs to be done. People need to hear the gospel. I'm thankful that somebody shared the gospel with me when I was a young man. 
Uh, I lived like the devil prior to getting saved, and uh, I'm going to die like a man, uh, not like a dog, uh, because I've been born again by the Spirit of God, and I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve to be forgiven, but he gave me a gift. Heaven's a gift, not something you work for or you earn and think we're good enough, because you can always find somebody better than you, and you can always find somebody worse than you, and that's who we target normally when we think about our own deeds getting us to heaven. The story is Jesus is at the well there in Samaria, and he is sat down, and his disciples are going to get food and bring it back to him. In the interim, while he's seated there at the well, a woman comes to draw water from that well to take back to her home. Obviously, you and I go to the spigot and turn it on, and there's water, but they would have to go to where the well was. Maybe uh, the whole community did periodically through the day or certain times to draw water to take it back to their home for usage. While she was down there by herself, and some speculate as to why she was by herself, because many times the women of the village would go at the same time, it may have been her pedigree or her lifestyle. From this situation, she had been married uh, several times, and the person she was residing with, she wasn't married to. The Lord already knew that. Isn't it amazing? God saves everybody and anybody. Amen. It's not a matter of you being good enough. We can't be good enough to be saved. We have to recognize how, fall, how short we've fallen from what God would have us to be. So while they're there at the well, Jesus said, if you ask me to give you water, I can give you water, you'll never thirst again. She says, well, give me this water so I never have to carry, lug these uh, containers uh, from my home down here to get water. And he's talking about this matter of when a person is born again by the Spirit of God, that they are, uh, have a fountain that is placed inside of them where they find joy and resources for life. Now, I've been saved 48 years. Uh, I promise you, there's nothing back before that time that I want. Amen. Nothing. I'm thankful. My only regret is I didn't serve the Lord with a greater passion than I do. And like I say, I, I told you my hair's 70. It's because the guy underneath it's 70 years old. And I really don't see any need in stopping uh, there's, I don't like rocking chairs. Uh, I like front, porch, front, front porches, but I don't like to spend a lot of time on them. But the thing is, is I have a Savior, and I'm not judging what other people may do. That's their own choice. But uh, I have this re-up for another 15 years. Uh, and then at 85, I'll figure out what I'm going to do. Now you say, well, that's, that's a long time. My mother is having her 100th birthday, November 27th. She lives by herself. Uh, she comes to three services a week. She's on Facebook. <laughs> she drives, but I won't ride with her. Um, and uh, I'm still afraid of her, okay? She'll be 100. She's in good shape. And so hopefully I got, the doctor one time said, if you got half the genes that your mother has, you'll be fine for a while. So I'm trusting in that. Uh, I'd love to go to heaven, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily ready to take the next bus. Uh, I'd just soon be here, but I'm ready to go if he's ready to take me. So when his disciples come back, they said, we have the meat that you sent us for, the food you sent us for. And Jesus said, well, you know, basically I've already eaten. He said, I have meat that you know not of. And the disciples looked at the situation. He was speaking to a Samaritan woman. The Jews had no dealings with a the Samaritan. There was a, there was a prejudice uh, towards them because they were a mixed breed of uh, people that were Jews that were mixed with the Assyrians. And the fact is, is the Jews, and wrongly so, here was Jesus going through Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria in the fore part of this chapter. And so he's talking to this woman. So the disciples being Jews looked at it and said, what's he doing talking to this uh, Samaritan and a woman at that? And uh, Jesus went on to explain and she went back and said, come see a man that told me all things about myself. They descended to the well. I'm assuming it was in a lower region, obviously digging a well by hand. And as they were coming, he said, look on the fields for they're white already unto harvest. Lift up your eyes. The matter of the way that we see things is so vitally important. Um, here where they were, they were looking at the same things, looking at it the wrong way. You and I have five senses. We have a smeller, we hear, we touch, as far as that, um, we taste, and we see. Now, you ladies have a sixth sense. My mother had it when I was growing up. She'd say, what, what have you been up to? 
Whoa, what do you mean what I've been up to? Ah, uh, you know, so I, I won't talk about it. I don't know that much about it. I'm scared of it. But there's five senses, and all those senses feed information into our mind. We think about it. You smell food. I hope the, the smell doesn't waif up here into the auditorium of what's down there. I'll lose you completely, okay? Um, or something, we see something. Have you ever driven down the road years ago? McDonald's used to put a sign up and said, aren't you hungry? And you know what? Every time I saw that, I was. You know, it was amazing. It fed information into my mind, and I thought concerning what I had seen. The disciples were looking at something. They saw it, but they were looking at it the wrong way. It oftentimes happened. Um, we get, in our Christianity, we get, our, we get a tunnel vision, if you please. Now, it happens here, maybe not as early as it does up where I'm from. I'm about 10 miles below uh, Lake Ontario. But up in that area, it gets a little cold earlier in the fall season. And a lot of times during like October, usually, there's a fellow that visits our area. His, name, his first name is Jack, much like your dad uh, name. Uh, his name is Jack. His last name is Frost, okay? And he shows up. And what he does, he put, a, he put a, a layer of ice on your windshield and everything, and you go out to go to work the next morning, you get out there, and you sit in the car, and you realize you can't see anything because there's ice over. And you don't, you, you know, your scraper, Junior used it to plow roads in his sandbox this summer, and so you have no idea where the scraper is. Uh, the preacher preached against credit cards and charging everything in the world, and so you throw all your, cut up all your credit cards. So what you do is you start your motor and you're running at about 7,000 RPMs. You know, you wah, and you turn on the defrosters. And you know what happens. Right in front of the passenger and the driver, a little bitty hole opens up about that big. And you say, that's good enough. So you put your windows down. Well, the crank, you can tell how old I am, can't you? People, what are you doing? I'm rolling down the windows. Um, you back out because you can look this way in the windows. You get on the road and you're going down the road. And you've seen this person coming at you. You, you, you look and you say, good night, there's nobody in that car. And then as they go by, you see this eyeball going, <laughs> you know, looking all over trying to see. With that tunnel vision, you can't see everything you and I need to see in life. You can't see something coming on the road, an animal. You can't see a car at an intersection because you've got tunnel vision. And what happens in our Christianity, there's a natural tendency for you and I to get tunnel vision and not see everything in the whole picture that the Lord wants us to see it. The whole nature of the local New Testament church is to carry out the work that Jesus both began to do and to teach, Acts the first chapter. So that's the nature of this body of believers, is that we would do the work of the Lord, which is to propagate the gospel, get the gospel out to everybody we possibly can and as soon as we possibly can. Why? Because he is coming again and people are dying regularly every day. And so we need to get the gospel out. So we have those five senses. And so I think the one that feeds more information than any other thing to your mind is your eye. We see so much. We look at so much. And it feeds information. We evaluate people when we look at them, a situation, a place, uh, uh, something that's uh, aesthetic, something that's pleasing to the eye. It all feeds in there. Your eye, is, uh, obviously, is what you look at determines what you think. And what you think determines how you feel. And how you feel determines what you do. What you see determines how you think. How you think determines what you do. How many have ever cried watching a film of some kind? Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised you admit it, huh? You didn't admit it that day you were crying in the living room. You're watching this thing, and they're making pretend about everything, and next thing you know, this hero gets killed or whatever, and you're sitting there, and you're going, I'm going to get a drink of water. And so you head for the kitchen, you know, because uh, you know what? When it gets all done, those people get up and congratu congratulate each other on a wonderful job they did in acting. And you and I are sitting on the couch crying. What our eyes see determines how we feel. How we feel determines what we do. Pretty powerful if you think about it. And the world knows that. Lamentations, the third chapter, verse 51, says, My eye affecteth my heart. Now follow along with me. I'm going to talk about the eye this morning and help us to understand how important it is, the information we feed to our mind. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, verse 23, says this. 
Keep thine heart, remember my eye affecteth my heart, Proverbs the fourth chapter, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. The way you are is because of the heart you have. If you're a liar, you're a liar in your heart. If you're a thief, you're a thief in your heart. If you're immoral, you're immoral in your heart. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. Your eye affecteth your heart. And then it says in Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, in matter of reviving ourselves, we have to make sure one aspect of it is, is seeing things the way God sees things. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis, the third chapter. We're going to look at a few Bible verses this morning. Genesis, the third chapter. Look, if you will, and we understand the story. Hopefully, that's the story of Adam and Eve taking place. And we know, and I'm not going to read from verse 1, it's where the, our adversary, the devil, came to Eve and uh, asked her some questions about what God had said. And uh, his response was, thou shalt not, not die, because God knows at that time you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. So he wanted her to partake of a particular fruit there in that garden that God had forbade them to partake of. Look in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, you notice it says when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So she was drawn away by her eyes. She, the Bible says that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was good for food, then it was pleasant to the eyes. And the thing is, she partook of it and gave it to her husband, Adam. So the fact is, it started with her eyes, and that affected what they did. Take your Bible and turn with me to the Genesis, the 13th chapter. Genesis, the 13th chapter. In Genesis, the 13th chapter, look, if you will, to verse 10. Abraham and Lot, they're going to divide as far as property. He says to Lot, says, Lot, you choose where you want to go. Look in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Verse 11. Then Lot chose. He chose because he saw something. Bible says we're not to live by sight, we're to live by faith. But most of our decision-making is based on sight. What we see oftentimes becomes what we do. Or what we tabulate in our mind determines what we do rather than living by faith in what God would want us to do. So here was Lot, and we know the story. He lost his family uh, there in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a wicked city. It vexed his righteous soul daily when he lived there because he knew he shouldn't have been there. But the fact is, he saw it, and that's what drew him there. It was a matter of the eyes. Look, if you will, to Joshua, the seventh chapter. The book of Joshua, the seventh chapter. In Joshua, the seventh chapter, look, if you will, to verse... Let's go to verse 20. Remember the story of Achan? They had come in, and Jericho... They'd fallen, they'd gone in, and the Bible says that God said all that you find in there, uh, there all, all, every, all the goods and everything belong to me. And what Achan did is, you know, he's, he's, he saw a goodly Babylonish garment, 200 wedges of silver, and the fact is he took it and he hid it in his tent. And they're trying to figure out who was responsible for them being defeated at Ai, the next small, insignificant city they were going to take in the promised land. And he said, Israel has sinned. So rather than Achan professing or making known what he had done, they drew straws or lots, if you please. And it came down to his tribe of Israel, and it came down to his family, and it came down to Achan. Look at verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Watch this in verse 21. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted, 
them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So again, here we have Achan. His family is going to be taken out to the valley of Achor, and they're going to be stoned to death because they had violated what God had commanded them to do. He died, uh, Mrs. Achan died, and as they say, all the little Achans died because they were all taken out there and stoned because he saw among the spoil these things. And he coveted. What you look at determines how you think, how you think determines how you feel, how you feel determines what you do. Your eyes are important, there's no doubt. Look, if you will, to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. You're right, I'm gonna run out of books of the Bible pretty soon if I keep turning you, right? Uh, 2 Samuel. Look, if you will, to chapter 11. Perhaps a familiar story. Look at verse 1, 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. Look, if you will, to verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. That was his problem when kings go off to battle, but he stayed home and he shouldn't have. So one night, because he wasn't active, wasn't working hard or anything, he was awake at night. Look at verse 2. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed. Why? Because he couldn't sleep. And walked up on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And obviously David inquires and then sends for He's the king of Israel. Now he should have been in battle, but the thing is he saw. And he desired. Your eyes are important. They feed information to your mind. By the way, so is your hearing, what kind of music you listen to and everything else. Uh, same thing with anything you ingest in your body. That's important because it's a body, this temple of the Holy Spirit. But I'm trying to help us understand that thinking determines what we do in the world in which we live and certainly as Christians. Now look, if you will, to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Well, we skipped a bunch of books that time, didn't we? We're working towards the back. We can always go back towards the front again if we need to. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Look at verse 14. And Jesus went forth, Matthew, the 14th chapter, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. When Jesus looked at something, he was moved with compassion. You remember the disciples looked at the woman at the well and how Jesus was talking to her. And the fact is, he said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. He saw something they didn't see. He saw something they didn't see. And that's the contrast. That mean, doesn't mean that every time you look at something, it's always going to be a negative. It depends on how you look at it, if you please. Now, we need to understand that oftentimes, well, let me give it this way. Before I was saved... Uh, I live like the devils I made mention. But the fact is, is I, that's because I only saw things from a certain perspective, human perspective. What influenced my thinking? What influence was my surroundings, my friends, the, the, the day and age? I, I mean, I was in, you know, I, obviously it was just, it was 1973, but I had grown up as a teenager in the 60s, and so I was influenced by that culture in my thinking. May I not been, may have not been on the cutting edge of everything, but the fact is I was in the middle of it, went to college during that time frame. And so my thinking was from a worldly perspective. When I received the Lord as my Savior, what he did, he made me alive in Christ. He born again my spirit, which was dead in trespasses and sin. I became alive spiritually. Everybody here is a trichotomy. There's three parts to you. There's the body. That lives in a physical world. There's a soul that makes you, you, and me, me. We're different. Your soul is made up of your mind to think, your will to choose, and your heart to feel. So that's what makes up your soul. That makes you, you, okay? It makes me, me. Is that too difficult? Um, and the third thing is the spirit of man. Spirit was dead. But Jesus said, Verily, verily, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When I received Christ, the Bible said he made alive my spirit. The Bible says in John, the fourth chapter, 
God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You can try to worship him with your body and your soul, but you're not truly worshiping God until you're born again by the spirit of God. Therefore, your spirit worships God. You can have all kinds of churches. You can have all kinds of religions. You can have all kinds of works. This is what you got to do. You got to light candles. You got to blow them out. You got to do this. You got to be baptized, whatever. I'm for baptism. But as the pastor explained, baptism is only for those people that have received Christ because it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's identifying with him. It's not a matter of works. It's the first step in obedience to the Lord, which is exciting. So the fact is, and when we think about it, when you're born again, all of a sudden you can see things from a different perspective. I used to be able to see things only this way. When I got saved, I, as I understood the Bible and started reading the Bible, I could see things from God's perspective. Now, by the way, you have a choice. You can fall back into seeing things from a worldly perspective and have a battle between yourself, or you can see things from God's perspective. Let me give you a couple things. First of all is this. The devil tries to deceive you and I into believing things that are not so. He did with Adam and Eve. He did with Eve there. He says, you, that, you eat of that fruit. That day, you're not going to die. In other words, God's lying to you. He was deceiving Eve, and he did, no doubt. 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, verse 14. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So he presents himself as a positive force, something good. We're always thinking as Christians or believers that the devil is going to look, you know, the old pitchfork and the pointed tail and the horns and everything else, then we'll be able to recognize them. The only way you'll be able to recognize them is spiritually when you try the spirits to see whether they be of God. And that's why this book is given, so you can know. We, we deceive ourselves. That's what it tells us in James. It tells us we have that ability. Um, the, the devil distracts us. Uh, years ago, I was preaching in Missouri. I have a friend that lives there. He calls it the state of misery. Um, but I was preaching. It was a Wednesday night, and we were staying at a motel my wife and I, and kids. And so I got up early in the morning. I like to get up early in the morning. I was one of those kids that never liked to take a nap because I was afraid I was going to miss something. Okay? Well, I'm kind of like that now. Uh, and so I was up early. Uh, we had come from the north, and it was like in March or April. And so it was, it was starting to get warm down there. So I went out for a walk uh, of, of some miles. And so I'm out there walking alongside the road. The sun has come up and cars are going by me, starting to come by me and everything, and the sun's shining. And I'm walking along and I'm in great fellowship with the Lord, uh, talking to him about some things we were involved in. I was in mission works for seven years. Uh, I, I was, did mission work in Russia, uh, India, Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, New Zealand. And then I tell people I settled with the IRS and came home. Um, but been to all those places. But anyway, I'm talking about the different ministries, and I'm walking along, and all of a sudden I see something shiny. I look down, and on the ground right in front of me there was a quarter. You know what I did? Same thing you'd have done. I reached down, picked that up, stuck that puppy in my pocket. Do you know when I got back to the motel, I said to my bride, I said, look at that, sweetheart, 37 cents. Found it this morning. Do you know because of the time I found that quarter, I spent the rest of the time looking for change? I didn't even talk about the Lord. I didn't talk to the Lord. I didn't talk about the ministry. I'm looking for quarters. And I end up with 37 cents. And that's what the devil does to you and I. If you have children, and they, maybe they've grown now. Do you remember when they were just starting to uh, stand on the coffee table and they were like, like that? And they'd see something on there and they'd go. And you didn't want them to have that. And so what you did is you took something over here and went... And they went, yeah, that's what you did. That's exactly what the devil does to us. Gets us distracted from what the, we should be doing. It's very easy. They do it with, he does it with things, with uh, maybe um, moving forward uh, as far as your business and, and, and uh, maybe in your job and everything else. We have to be careful. I'm not saying that God isn't helping you and doing something and raising you and giving you opportunity, but don't get your eyes off the ball, if I can say it that way. 
Now, I played sports. I played soccer. We didn't have football in the high school when I played soccer, basketball, and tennis. Now, the reason I played tennis, I used to pitch uh, in baseball, but if you're not pitching, you play right field, and you could grow old standing in right field waiting for something to happen. And I looked over the tennis court, and I saw those guys having a ball just smacking the fire out of that ball. And I said, I think I'd like to do that. So I played it in high school, played it in college as well. But the key to all that was keep your eye on the ball. You take it off, you miss kick it. Shooting, if you're not watching the rim, it's not a matter of just throwing it up there, up there somehow. The thing is, is you have to have a target you're shooting at. And when you go up in that jump shot, you lock in. You've got to have your eyesight locked in. Same thing with tennis. Tennis is the same thing. You, you swing that racket, you've got to keep your eye on that ball. If you take it off, you're going to miscue. You're going to have a problem. So the devil deceives us. Sometimes we deceive ourselves. We don't even need his help. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, if you would. Book of James. We're working towards the back of the Bible here. We'll be done. We'll have in indicated all of it. Right after the book of Hebrews, first chapter. Book of James. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, it says this. In James, the first chapter. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Doing the word of God, not just hearers. You're hearing the word of God. But if you don't do it, you're deceiving your own selves. Our kids were small, and uh, I still remember uh, taking them to an amusement park. And in that amusement park, they had this fun house. Now, the kids were small, and they went in, and there were several different things. But one room, they had these mirrors in them. And these mirrors um, were distorted in some way or another. The first four of them were. The last one was just a, a mirror. And I can still remember standing in front of that first mirror. And what happened, it made your torso look like it came, went from your knees all the way up to here. You had this long torso and these little bitty legs, you know, like this. And so you're, you're having fun. You're laughing at it, having a big time. You go to the next one, and the next one is... It shows your, 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 your legs start about here. you got this little bitty torso, you know, they warp the mirror. So you got these long, towering legs, and you're having a big time. When our little girl was there, when she was little then, uh, it made her ears look like elephant ears, you know what I mean? Because it was right at that stretched place. And so we're having laughing, and then we go to the next one. The next one made you look like a drip of water. You know, and you go, oh, we like that one. And the next one, the exact opposite, you know, you like that, and boy, you get out of that. And then the last one, it just was a mirror. It just told you what it saw. I, I, after going through those mirrors, I stood back and watched people coming in the door, and they were having a ball. They were laughing at this one and this one and this one and this one. But nobody stood in front of the mirror. They'd go, they, they'd have a big time. They'd be like, look, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And then they'd get the other one and go, and they'd go back. We like it's tragedy, but we like deceiving our own selves. When I was in the third grade, I spent the best three years of my life in the third grade, actually. <laughs> and one day, I, I, you know, the, the boys were made to go last into the lunch line. You know, when you're eight years old, you could die of starvation waiting to get into lunch. I mean, you had, you had your morning break, but I mean, now it's lunchtime, and you could die at that age. Starved to death. You're starving. Well, the guy that had caused the guys to have to go last in our class, his name was Dave. So I told Dave, I don't know what he did. He cut in line at the drinking fountain, or he did something or whatever. And I said, you know, we get out on recess, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> now, you could say that back then, okay? And you weren't going to kill anybody, you know? But anyway, nowadays, you know, they'd call the principal. You'd be <laughs> suspended for three days and everything else. What did I do? What did I do? You know, like that one child that just drew a picture of a gun on a piece of paper and they suspended him. Help us. But anyway, so I told Dave, so we finished eating and we got on the uh, out on the playground. Well, in the 50s, they, for whatever reason, they came to and they blacktopped the playground. They blacktopped it. You ever, you ever come down a slide and land on blacktop? I still have scars. I mean, it was, you know, it was not dirt or anything else. And so they put blacktop. So anyway, 
Dave, I'm chasing Dave. I said, okay, now it's time to go. So I'm chasing Dave around this playground, and he's taking this, these swing sets. You know, it was really when, in the 50s, they had swing sets that had probably about a five-inch diameter steel pipe for the horizontal, and they had the same diameter that went down on an offset triangle on the end of the, 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 the horizontal there, and they were five-inch diameter steel pipes, three of them, and then they had chains coming down holding a five-quarter board, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I mean, it was an elementary school, you know. Um, and the thing is, is I'm chasing Dave, and I'm just about ready to get his flesh under my fingernails, and he grabs hold of one of those offset triangles, one of the pipes, and he uses it a pivot, and he goes one way. And I, man, I'm, I had to go around and turn around, and I swing around another one, you know, and he's using all the apparatus and everything to duck me, and I'm right behind him. All of a sudden, we're running towards this offset triangle on one of the swing sets, and Dave happened to look over to see how close I was to him, but he misjudged the distance to that steel pipe that was into the ground in front of him. And when he turned around, he hit that steel pipe, like that. I mean, right in the forehead, right here. He went to the ground. Here's Timmy Young standing over this body. I'm thinking, now I'm eight years old, I'm going to prison, I just killed the guy. <laughs> you couldn't even find D, hit my DNA on his body. But he's, I mean, everybody in the whole, I mean, it's so loud, it sounded like a church bell. I mean, the kids stopped playing and looked over. The swing stopped in up position, you know what I mean? It was just like, like E.F. Houghton or whatever. The birds stopped singing. And all of a sudden, the miracle happened, Dave, Struggled and he got up and he looked at me and he, he said, now he had a thousand yard stare. I mean, the lights were on, but nobody was home. He looked at me and he said, didn't hurt. Didn't hurt. And he turned around and walked kind of funny away from me, you know, like that. Now, here's the thing. I knew it hurt. The kids in the playground knew it hurt. The birds knew it hurt. Dave wasn't trying to deceive anybody but himself. And you know, you and I are so capable of deceiving our own selves, thinking everything's fine when we in our heart know it's not. And so what reviving is, when we see ourselves as we are and make sure that the devil's not deceiving us and thinking that we're okay, uh, like he did Eve, or thinking we're okay, uh, like him saying, well, it didn't hurt, me making this decision won't hurt. What does the Lord say? That's the problem. You see, the problem is an eye problem, the way we look at things. Look, if you will, to Matthew, the sixth chapter. We're going to go back towards the front again. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Now, we, when I tie this all together and bring it down, I think you'll understand how important it is on how you look at things. The disciples looking at it from an earthly perspective, Jesus looking at it from a heavenly perspective, and they're looking at the same thing. Look at Matthew, the sixth chapter, the Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, how you look at something. If you look at it with light from God's perspective, your whole body's full of light and how you see everything. But if it's from darkness, the thing is the whole body's full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? You know why it's great? Because we have the perspective, the opportunity to see it from God's perspective, and we're looking at it from a worldly perspective. That's even darker than a lost person, if you think about it, because they have no hope until they're born again. You see, the key is, if you can see things from two perspectives, you and I have to have the right dominant eye. I was in a gun, stop, a gun shop uh, back in the 80s, and I was looking for a gun. I'm always shopping for guns, never buying them because I don't, can't afford them, but I'm looking at a gun, and I walked in this gun store, and the proprietor said, uh, can I help you? I said, yes, no, I'm looking for a 270. I said, a bolt action uh, and rifle, and I said, um, I'd like to have it left-handed, the bolt working from the left side of the um, rifle. And uh, he said to me, he said, what's your dominant eye? Now, 
Doesn't take, it's not real hard for me to look dumb. And he must have picked it up real quick. And I went, um, my left. And uh, he said, well, do this for me. Now, we're going to do an exercise right here, and I'm going to help you with something. Um, he said, take your fingers and make a triangle out of your thumb and your fingers. Do this with me, would you? All right, hold it out as far as you can from your body. Uh, hold it out in front and put something. I'm putting those two brass panels on the door back there in the center so there's air all the way around it. Now say, oh, great one. No, we can't. Don't know how to. Okay, um, hold that up there. And put, put something in the middle. It may be a light. It may be something. But it has to have air all the way around it. I know your arms get tired, but hold on there. Keep your arms out straight. Now, do, do something without moving your head. Close your left eye and see where that object is in relationship to that triangle. Now, close your right eye and see where that thing is in the relationship to that triangle. Now, put your hands down. Now, promise me that you won't spend the rest of the time going like this. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I've had people do that. Now, what happened was this. When you had your hand up like that, when you closed one eye, that object stayed right in the center of that triangle. How many noticed that in one, one of your eyes? Okay, that's your dominant eye, okay? And on the other one, the uh, object moved either out of the triangle or moved off to one side. Anybody notice that? Okay, that's not your dominant eye. Now, if you say, uh, well, it stayed in the center for both. That's an impossibility. You can't have two dominant eyes. If you did, you'd be so cross-eyed, your tears would run down your back. I mean, it just wouldn't, can't work. You got one dominant eye. Now, I was in uh, Louisiana preaching one time, and I was doing that little demonstration, and I, there was a lady in the back that was um, laughing. And so I said, well, ma'am, I said, I ain't said anything funny yet. She's back there having a good time, you know. And so uh, finally I said, now close your left eye. And she's laughing out loud. And she's like this. I said, ma'am, what's so funny? She goes, I got a glass eye. <laughs> I'm not sure whether she ever did figure out what her dominant eye was or not. I'm not sure. But anyway, the fact is, you have a dominant eye the way you see things. Now, be honest with me. How many knew before you, that demonstration, you knew, I, this is not graded, there's nobody going to take a picture and say, you didn't know. How many, didn't, how many did not know what their dominant eye was? Okay, several of you. Okay. Do you know in your Christian life you have a dominant eye? You see things either from God's perspective or the world's perspective. That's the difference. That's what I'm talking about. You think, see these cheaters? I call them cheaters. When I was 45, I could still read the back of a medicine bottle. I mean, the what a, what a, what a, what a fine print. Then something happened. I don't know. My arms got too short, and I couldn't get the Bible far enough so I could read it or whatever. And so now, I, so what I did is I went to an ophthalmologist. They're an eye doctor. And there's optometrists as well, but an ophthalmologist is obviously an MD doctor. I went to him, and he looked, and he said, you need cheaters. He didn't call them that. Uh, corrective lenses. So because I wasn't seeing things correctly. And then it was indicated that I should come back on a regular basis every so often, every couple of years maybe, to go to the doctor to get your eyes checked to make sure you're not losing ground. How many have had that experience? Okay, wearing cheaters. Um, or, you know, some kind of corrective lenses. Or sometimes people have surgery and so forth. Our, our second son had surgery and, you know, he, he got his eyesight back and he had started wearing glasses when he was seven, you know. But anyway... Okay, so what it is, is corrective lenses so we can see things properly. Do you know that Jesus is the great physician? He's an ophthalmologist by trade. Do you know what the invitation in a church service is? What it is is going forward and kneeling at the altar and asking the ophthalmologist to make sure you're seeing things correctly. It may be a certain item in your life, a certain attitude you have, a certain sin, and you're going before him, and even as you get there, you know you're not seeing things clearly or in the right perspective. You're seeing it from a worldly perspective, and you're not seeing it from God's perspective. And so you go in an invitation and bend your knee and say, Lord, help me. I need to have my eyes examined or the way I see things so I see them correctly. That's what an invitation is. It's getting things before the ophthalmologist 
the great physician in making sure we see things correctly. That's why if you're not spending time in your Bible, it's probably because you've been watching or seeing things, and I don't mean watching like TV, but you've been seeing things from a worldly perspective and not from a heavenly perspective. That's why. That's why church becomes like laborious, you know, as far as, you know, okay, get through, man, when's he going to ever shut up? When's he going to ever sit down? Uh, whatever. And I'm out of here, and I punched the clock, said I was in church on Sunday morning. But, you know, if you see it from God's perspective, all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to your heart. Our son, Andrew, when he was about eight years old, we had a missions conference at the church. And during the missions conference, we had missionaries that spoke, and Andrew came forward, knelt at the altar. One of the other men working at the altar said, Brother Young, uh, uh, Andrew wants to talk to you. So I went over and I, I called him, I call him Bug. He's 34, five years old, uh, something like that. Um, and anyway, so I said, Bug, what can I do? I called him Bug, and I, when he got old enough, got married, I tried to switch it to Bud, because I call him Bug. I still call him Bug. I have no idea why, but I said, Bug, what can I do for you? What's going on? He said, well, he said, I, I, I really believe that God has called me to be a missionary to the Philippines. I said, wow, Bug, that's a blessing. He said, and this, he, he's like a, like a wreck. He, he said, but I don't think he wants me to go right now. <laughs> he's eight years old. Would to God some people would be, have as much Christianity is that an eight-year-old that says, hey, uh, you know, uh, God wants me to be a missionary, but, but I don't think he wants me to leave at eight years old to go to the mission field. But he, in his mind, that's what he had to deal with. Think about that. And God may be calling you to do something. Step out and do it. Be willing to say, Lord, but that's where the, the invitation is that. I was in Albany, New York, preaching in a meeting. And there was a blind couple seated right over here. And at the conclusion of the, me the message, the pastor came up and said, Brother Young, you see that blind couple over here and that seeing eye dog was a German shepherd? I said, yeah, I, I did. He said, you know those two people won 150, some like 157 people to the Lord last year? So I'm thinking, really? I thought maybe they had a phone ministry, you know? Eh, 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 eh. <laughs> you know, just dial some numbers and somebody answers, start witnessing to them. I, I thought that maybe was it. He said, no, he said, not the phone. He said, you see that dog? I said, sure do. He said, the C&I dog is trained to take its, its master around objects. Now, they're both husband and wife, are both blind, to take them around objects and so forth, to, you know, be careful when they come to a crosswalk and everything else. Well, did you hear about the blind fellow went into Walmart and he grabbed his seeing eye dog by the tail and swung him around like this? put him back down, and the manager come up and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, I'm just looking around. <laughs> Never mind, it's bad. Huh? So anyway, they had retrained, they had retrained this dog so that when somebody was coming down the street towards them, normally it would take them over to one side or the other to, to move around the person. What they did is they trained the dog to keep going right at the person. So if you were walking down the street and that seeing-eyed dog, you'd get over like this. Well, the dog got over. Then you'd get over here like this, and the dog get over here like this. And then finally, the person, the pastor was saying, the person would get backed up against a wall, and the German shepherd would sit down on its haunches and look up with teeth bearing, tongue hanging out, and these two blind people would be standing in front of you saying, do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? <laughs> and the German shepherd standing right in front of you. I guess that would be a way to, to, to witness to people as far as that. But I mean, the thing is, is they were obviously soul sensitive. And they, they had no vision, couldn't see. We have a gentleman in our church who lost his sight. Um, and I mean, when he was in his 50s, like 56 years old, he lost his sight. He had one bad eye, had his patch his whole life since teenager. He was doing some work on his house. He walked into the, he went to get a two by four out of the back of his pickup. And if you ever work construction, you always walk to the pickup with your head down, you know, kind of. <laughs> he walked right into that two by four and punctured that eyeball and lost his sight. 36 years he taught junior boys. Primary, I'm sorry, primary boys. And the thing is, is what, a, what a blessing he is as far as that, without his sight. But the, the fact is, what I'm talking about is having spiritual sight versus earthly sight. Let me ask you a question.
Listen to this testimony of this pastor from Zimbabwe, just prior to his martyrdom. He put this. He says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I'm, I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk with patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, work till he stops me, and when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. I wonder what his dominant eye was. My question is, like Jesus said, basically, what are you fellows looking at? What are you looking at? This morning, if you're a child of God, what are you looking at? Revival starts by what I, what's our dominant eye, if it's physical or spiritual. And you say, well, I'm not really sure. Well, if that's the case, you get to the ophthalmologist. He knows. He'll convict the world of sin and righteousness of judgment. He'll bring it to our understanding, our attitude, our spirit, our commitment to Christ. But if you're here this morning, you don't know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You can know. It's not a matter nobody can know. You're saying that because you don't know, but you can know. These things have I written unto you, John said, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, K-N-O-W, know that you have eternal life. You can know that. You say, well, that's kind of proud. No, it's not. It's thankful. It's rejoicing because this is the guarantee. The Bible says so. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved. Let's all stand together and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You're a child, child of God, and perhaps we've enjoyed a little bit of the message, but all with the idea. It's like a, a medicine that's sugar-coated sometimes. It tastes good, but when it gets to doing its business, we realize that that's the purpose of it. And maybe this morning what you need to do is, as a Christian, maybe get to the altar and say, Lord, help me. We're here having a revival, special time where we're trying to get our hearts close to the Lord. And maybe it's time to get to the ophthalmologist and see maybe he's got some part in your life at what needs to be corrected and corrective lenses. Maybe to see things from him, his perspective. Maybe here this morning, and you don't know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You can know. What are you holding out for? Really? It's that important to you to die and spend eternity without Christ in a place Jesus himself called hell? He came to give his life for you. And for me. And it's a matter of receiving him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking about. As God's child, maybe you just need to say, Lord, I need to get to the ophthalmologist. Get my heart right so I'm seeing things. Because how what I what I see determines how I think, and how I think determines how I feel, how I feel determines what I do. Lord, I pray that you'd bless. I pray you'd use the thought this morning. May it be helpful to each and every one here. Lord, I pray that it would cause them to realize that revival starts in my heart. Not in a church, but in my heart. And then as it catches hold on others, then there's a gathering in a group whose hearts have been stirred and they see things from the proper perspective, from that heavenly perspective. So Lord, it starts with us getting our heart and our eyes corrected 
at the ophthalmologist. I pray that you bless the invitation. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If she plays a hymn of invitation, maybe God spoke to your heart this morning. Even when you perhaps it was a light moment, you realize the gravity of it. You come, the altar's yours. You use it as the Lord leads. He walked along the shores of Galilee. How's your sight today? How's, how do you see Jesus? Do you see him as the Savior? Do you see that you need Christ? People come up. They see their need. Jesus said the ones who don't see that they need him are the ones that are worst of all. You're seeing wrong. But those that see they need Christ, those are the ones that will get life. Those are the ones that will get help. And we all need Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you do not know that if you died now, you'd go to heaven. You know Jesus is speaking to your heart and you can't bear it any longer. You put your hand up. I'm just going to pray for you. You put your hand up, raise it up high. Say, I need Jesus. We have one over here. We have two. Three. Anymore. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need to get saved. Everybody raising their hand if you want to. If you would, come up to come up here. Donnie, come on up. Anybody else? Say, I need to get saved. Come up to the stage. Anybody else need to get saved, need to be born again. You're not sure that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Don't resist God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You're not sure which way is right. Jesus is the way. You're not sure what is truth. Jesus is the truth. And you're not sure how to live your life. Jesus is the life. There is no way to heaven but through him. Keep the altar open. Anyone else need to pray? Maybe God has a calling on your life and you're just not sure how to go about it. How much can you give up for God? You know, when he looked at you, he didn't ask how much can I give up for him? He gave it all. You can never give up too much for Christ. The more you give, the more you'll find out that you're not giving anything. He already gave it all for you. He'll take your life and just bless it even further. We have husband and wives here. Maybe you need to dedicate your marriage to the Lord. Give your marriage to Christ. Come down. 
Give it to Christ together. Say, Lord, make our marriage an example. Maybe you've been watching some things you shouldn't have men. You've been getting involved with some things on the internet or different things. Give it to Christ. So I don't know how to stop. Come to Christ. Music. Allowing those things to enter into your body and your mind. Listening to the wrong music. Give it up. Give it to Christ. Allow Christ to make you the vessel he wants you to be. Thank you, Caleb. Amen. All right. The, uh, amen. Let's, uh, I'm going to have a word of prayer uh, and ask God's blessing on the food. There's food afterwards. I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Young. He's speaking to uh, the two young men, um, uh, Victor and uh, Donnie, and um, also Juanita. She's getting saved right now with Courtney. So anybody else need to get saved? Uh, get born again, you come and speak to me, amen, and we'll take the time. Knowing that you're saved, I don't assume anybody is saved. I always, is this on Brother Rob? No. I always uh, challenge that. Are you saved? You say, well, I grew up in church. That doesn't make you saved. I'm a good person. That doesn't make you saved. Getting saved is not by what you do. It's by what Christ does did on the cross, and he saves you, right? We're the one drowning. You can't save yourself. Christ comes along, and you say, Lord, save me, and he takes you and saves you. It's by your heart, believing in who he is, realizing you're a sinner, and accepting him as your final sacrifice. He died for you, and when you do that, when you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and you ask him to save you with all, your, with all your heart, the Bible says you're saved. It's a matter of faith, trusting in him. Amen. And uh, when you get saved, you're saved for life. You're saved forever. And now you get to grow in him. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on the food. And uh, thank you, everybody who helped prepare it. Everybody's welcome to go downstairs and enjoy the time of fellowship. Also, would like to welcome, we have some visitors. This is your first time here. Just raise your hand. And I don't want to embarrass you or anything, amen. God bless you all. And uh, uh, you're welcome to go downstairs, enjoy some food. And uh, this is uh, Gospel Life Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Phil. Again, remember we have tomorrow evening, Monday at 7, tomorrow, and then Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, we're going to continue this uh, meeting. It's just going to be just like it was today on Monday and Tuesday. All right? Try your best to be here. Let God do. You say, I got to work. I got to. Don't be too busy for God. This is just a set-aside time. Make it happen. Do all you can to make it happen. Pray that it can happen. Have that desire to make it happen. All right. 
Let's ask God's blessing on the food, and we'll all go downstairs and have that time of fellowship. Lord, we thank you for the message. I pray you, you would give us all, Lord, those spiritual eye, Lord, the spiritual eyesight to see from heaven, to see and look from heaven's view on how you view things, how you view, first of all, us and our sin. Lord, may we uh, allow you to make changes in our lives. May your grace sustain us and, and help us, Lord, in those areas where we can't help ourselves. Lord, I pray you give us strength to do that. Give us mercy. Lord, I pray that you would just bless our families, our marriages. Lord, bless the, the moms and dads, the kids. We all need you, Lord. There's nobody in here uh, that does not need you. I pray that you would just help us all. Thank you for the food, all those who prepared it. I pray you bless them, oh God, as they gave their talent to you. I pray, Lord, you'll uh, double it, triple it for them, Lord, as, as they gave that to you. Uh, keep our church uh, strengthened and strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you downstairs.